0: more living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, Financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan.
1: Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98 7, WOKI, and we are going to talk today about women's health and about men's health. Uh, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we always do a feature this time of year, uh, especially on women's health. And uh, I very much enjoyed the previous hour with Around the House with Scott filling in for Dawn and Bob Yarbrough coming in on his Saturday morning and very much enjoyed that. And uh, But we're going we're gonna to talk about breast cancer. We're also going to talk about prostate in men. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to have with us Dr. Nilesh Patel. Uh, he is with Premier Radiation Oncology. Uh, they provide radio, radi, radiology oncology services, kind of a mouthful, uh, for Tenova Healthcare. And we're going to talk about Women's Health First. And what can, what do we need to be doing to stay out ahead of things? I know it's talked about a lot, but I want to really get down to things like environmental factor in factors. How does our diet affect these things? What do we do once we have diagnosis? We're also going to get into prostate health. You know, one in eight women, I believe is the statistics that get, that, 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 that get breast cancer, uh, one in six men, get prostate cancer. It is becoming more and more prevalent, it seems. I think a lot of that probably just due to people are getting older and older, or people, excuse me, live longer and longer lives. But, you know, what about other environmental and health factors that are out there? What about hormone replacement therapy? You know, I know in 2000, I'm gonna ask Dr. Patel this, but in 2000, there were some, in the early 2000s, there were some things came out with women with hormone replacement therapy that gave, brought, raised some concerns with can, with breast cancer, and breast cancer rates have come down in the last ni- 18, 19 years after that information came out. At least that's my understanding. But you know what? I'm not the expert on this. Dr. Patel is. Good morning, Dr. Patel. It's great to have you with us in studio.
2: Good morning, Jim. Thank you, yes, Thank you for and, having me.
1: Hey, real briefly, tell me how you grew up a Texas boy, right?
2: That's right. Went born, to Baylor. Born in Houston. Went to Baylor University in Waco. Yeah. Did my medical school at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. And then uh, came to the south, the residency for radiation oncology at Emory. And then we've been in Knoxville since 2007.
1: So what brought you to Knoxville?
2: Well, actually, it was uh, actually the the job opportunity. And, uh, you know, took a chance on that and then did more research on the Knoxville area. And uh, just found it to be a beautiful um, place. Obviously, the scenery and the geography. And the people here are just uh, down to earth, and it's a great place to live and raise a family. So we've been very happy here. Yeah,
1: I love East Tennessee. I'm a little partial. I grew up here. have two degrees from UT. I spent many summers not in Knoxville, but I've been <laughs> here all my life. Is your blood orange yet? Is it running orange yet?
2: It's running a little shade of orange. Let's just say that. I, I am partial oh, to the no. volunteers.
1: <laughs> oh, a little. Okay, there you go. So, uh, okay, let's talk about women. So m- many women use their gynecologist. Almost as kind of their primary care doctor. Sure. And that's where they maintain their most consistent communication. When you're talking with patients and you're performing an examination, what are the things that you're looking for? And is it okay for women to to think of their gynecologist as their primary care doctor as opposed to a general, you know, internal med or something like that?
2: Well, Obviously, there can often be a comfort level for women uh, with their gynecologist um, in terms of that relationship. Um, and there's no problem if the gynecologist feels comfortable in providing primary care services for women. Um, obviously, we look at more women's health in terms of, you know, um, breast health, um, you know, women's health in terms of um, gynecologic issues. But um, there are other things that uh, women have to be aware of as well in terms of, you know, blood pressure, diabetes, overall health, which includes diet and exercise. So there's no problem as long as those things are being addressed as well.
1: Now, in 2012, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force issued guidelines stating that most women over 65 no longer need an annual pap smear to screen for cervical cancer. So many senior women took that to mean they no longer need to keep their annual appointment with their gynecologist. Can you kind of clear up any misconceptions on all of that and, and this, this, what came out in 2012 and what your recommendations are?
2: Sure. So a lot of the times when we look at these task force uh, guidelines and recommendations, they're looking at in terms of overall public health, in terms of population studies and the cost versus uh, Benefit ratios in terms of providing care and whatnot, but we have to look at every patient on an individual basis. And so, even though there may be um, screening recommendations or you know not for screening at a certain age, um, you know if women have certain symptoms, they need to be checked. And at that point. There may be recommendations to do a certain screening test or whatnot. If they're asymptomatic and have had no issues, then, then the guidelines uh, apply where you may not need to do a specific test or whatnot. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, maintain follow-up with your physician because um, you got to maintain that health and make sure you're aware of symptoms and things to be on the lookout for.
1: And when we talk about breast cancer, Dr. Patel, what are the major risk factors for breast cancer?
2: So obviously, breast cancer is actually a very complex disease, and there are actually multiple things that can contribute to the onset of breast cancer in terms of cause. Obviously, when we look at uh, lung cancer, we all know that smoking is a, a major cause, but for breast cancer, there can be multiple issues. Um, just like you mentioned earlier, um, in terms of hormone replacement therapy, estrogen replacement therapy, you know, that can be a risk factor in terms of promoting breast cancer. And we've seen that when women are put on, um, you know, oral contraceptives or estrogen, you know, they have to be more cognizant of making sure they get their screening mammograms or, Looking at family history, you know genetics plays a major role in that. Where if if there's been a family member, you know a mother, a sister, maternal aunt, paternal aunt, that has breast cancer, then there may be a familial association um, in terms of a higher risk of developing breast cancer. And
1: well, I think I saw that if there's a first degree relative—mother, sister, daughter—that has breast cancer, the risk more than doubles. Yes, is there's like a, th- what I saw.
2: and I think part of that's also a higher wa- rate of awareness in today where we know that some uh, women may have a genetic mutation that puts them at a higher risk of developing cancer. Some of us may have heard, of, have heard about these mutations like BRCA, um, which um, uh, does increase the risk of developing not just breast cancer, but ovarian cancer in certain subtypes. And so um, whenever we have a family member that's diagnosed with with the malignancy like this, um, that just puts more onus on the individual to make sure that, yes, they're following up with their physician, they're getting the appropriate screening, and even possibly further testing just to make sure that um, they're not at a higher risk, or if so, um, doing the proper screening to catch a disease earlier than it would have been otherwise.
1: I also saw... I mean, certainly the incidence, the risk is much higher when you have it in your family. However, I also saw that 85% of women that get breast cancer do not have family history.
2: Yes, and that's that's correct. Uh, I'll see a lot of patients, um, you know, that undergo treatment and eventually may need radiation therapy. And they're the first one in their family um, to have a diagnosis of cancer or, or, bre- or be the first one uh, to have breast cancer. So... Um, genetics and environment play a role um, in development of cancer and it's a complex interaction but we do know that unfortunately today um, we're exposed to a lot of different factors that we may or may not realize could contribute to cancer onset and development.
1: Now we talked about we all know that that prevent you know staying on top of these things really really early and staying in tune to your health we all know the, how important that is but over the last 10 years It seems as though there's not a clear consensus among major medical groups regarding what age women should begin to get mammograms for basic cancer screening or even how often. What do you recommend?
2: So I believe the, the standard guidelines typically say that women probably should get a baseline mammogram if they have no other major risk factors, probably at the age of 40. And then typically it's done annually, but during that 40 to 50 year Age range, you know, if they do it every other year, um, that may be okay as long as there's no suspicious findings or concerning findings on on mammogram. But obviously, if someone has a family history of breast cancer or they um, have higher risk for whatever reason, then we may recommend baseline screening at a younger age. You know, even in the 30s or so, just to get at least a baseline, um, you know, idea of how their breast tissue is. And that way, on subsequent imaging and screening to make sure that there's no major changes that need further attention.
1: We're visiting this morning with Dr. Neelash Patel. He is with Premier Radiation Oncology. They provide all the radiology oncology services for Tanova Healthcare. And we're talking about women's health a little bit later in the show. We're going to talk about prostate cancer in men. So you won't want to miss that. When we come back with Dr. Patel, we're going to talk about environmental factors how does overall fitness, food, exercise, the holistic nature of healthcare, how does it potentially make an impact or not make an impact? So don't go away as we visit with Dr. Patel right here on More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Feels like-
0: listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your, Jim, I'm your host, Jim Brogan. This morning we're visiting with Dr. Neelash Patel. He is a radiation oncologist. He's with Premier Radiation Oncology. They provide the services for Tenova Healthcare. And uh, we're diving into, we're talking about women's health this first half of the show. Uh, we're talking about breast cancer, a little bit about cervical cancer. In the last half of the show we're really going to dive into prostate cancer cuz one in 6 men is the estimate will be diagnosed with prostate cancer and uh but but right now we're talking about women's health and i mentioned dr patel lifestyle factors now you mentioned the hormone the estrogen therapy is a big risk factor uh that we've known about for a while now is that a, is that an accurate way to say that yes okay yes what other but, but that's been a, a known in the medical community for a little while now, right? Yeah,
2: that's been known for, for some
1: time. Do you think that's one of the things that has led to the decrease in rates?
2: I, I think there's no doubt that there's a greater awareness that uh, that can be a causative agent or promoting agent for breast cancer. So that I think, um, you know, physicians and patients are, are more aware of that possibility. So that if they're on, um, you know, hormone replacement therapy, that they get their screening and they're more and we're more on top of those kind of issues uh, in case that they may develop a, a possible breast cancer down the line.
1: Let's talk about overall health, though, because I know um, I was visiting with your partner and uh, we were talking about the importance of especially when you have health issues or even well, especially when you have health issues to be cognizant of how we're treating our bodies with the foods we eat. Our fitness, our exercise, you know, I need to lose about 20 pounds. <laughs> so, um, how, let's talk, let's start with food. How I think food is a very powerful drug. Now, I know they haven't linked, oh, if you eat this, you're going to get cancer of some sort. But talk about, in your opinion, the relationship of food and our overall health in general. We know about diabetes and heart disease, but what about cancer?
2: Now that's a great, um, great question, Jim. And like you said, food can definitely be a drug because we all know certain things we are definitely addicted to and we can't uh, give up sometimes. But I'm,
1: th- I think I'm addicted to just about all kinds of food. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but there's definitely an association in terms of your diet and your overall weight, uh, in terms of cancer, um, risk factors. Um, we definitely see there's more and more data that's coming out showing that unfortunately in our in our society uh, obesity is a major medical issue and um, we all know that obesity obesity can contribute to heart disease diabetes and those factors but there's also increased rate of cancer in in uh, obese patients as well so there's no doubt that um just having that um physical and uh, health issue can promote um uh cancer development and so in terms of our food intake um we also know that we just um have been exposed to so many things over the years and it's like after the fact 20 years later we found out that well this this food or this thing had chemical agents in it and uh environmental exposures that um ca- possibly led to um you know cancer development or um uh, health issues that may lead to that kind of uh problem so,
1: you know, I'm not surprised to hear that about obesity rate, cancer rates in people that are obese, but you just, you don't, again, it's all about diabetes and, and cardiovascular. You don't hear much out there about the way our food and our weight impacts cancer. No, and the, you just don't, it, people don't talk yeah, about it. Yeah,
2: we much. don't talk about it because people don't realize that that's a, a, a major issue in terms of cancer development. Like you said, we t- think about blood pressure and diabetes, but um, unfortunately in patients that are that are overweight or obese, um, because of their body metabolism at that point, um, their body creates an environment where you might say there's a high sugar content in the body or whatnot, uh, but that promotes an inflammatory state in the body And that inflammatory state is an environment where cancer cells can develop because normal cells are getting damaged. Your body tries to repair or remove those damaged cells. But if it's not able to do that, then those cells can continue to progress into a a type of cancer. And so so
1: so sugar, and that was one thing I was going to ask you about. I've heard that sugar is feeds cancer right but are you saying it's because ultimately sugar creates inflammation in the body and then that's what can cause a problematic environment
2: no and and i get this a lot from my patients they ask well i hear that sugar feeds cancer and that itself that statement itself is not true but in terms of in in a person's specific health if they have diabetes or they have a high sugar content their blood glucose is high that inflam that causes an inflammatory state in their body, which can promote cancer development or progression. So I never tell patients, hey, look, you can't, uh, you don't have to cut all the sugar out. But if you're living on Twinkies and soda, then you're, you're, you know, you're p- consuming a lot of sugar. And that's what we need to be on the lookout for. And there's no doubt that correlation leads to higher weight if our diet is poor, if we're eating a lot of processed foods, high sugar content. So we don't want to, um, so we have to be aware of that.
1: Well and then that what I'm hearing from you Dr Patel is the relationship between inflammation in the body and cancer incidence. Right. Because there are other ways we can reduce inflammation in the body. Sure. I mean I know of course this really sugar I guess but I know when I eat more carbohydrate more regularly man I mean my joints start hurting you know that's inflammation right I mean that's my, right. if if my joints are hurting more that's inflammation, and that means I've got a problematic environment in my body, which could lead to not only diabetes and heart disease, but also could pro- cause some problems with cancer.
2: That's right. And, and our bodies is really amazing because obviously we may ignore these signs, but our body tells us when there's something off. Just like you said, you know, when your joints are aching, you know, obviously either you, you know. Our joints are getting a little bit older, a little bit more degeneration, but you feel the pain when you overwork it. And it's just a sign that your body's trying to heal, trying to recover, but there is some factor that caused that uh, discomfort.
1: Is there a particular, I don't want to get, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far, but is there a particular kind of diet that you believe is good for reducing inflammation in the body, particularly? Do you think it's just about calorie restriction or is there a particular program that you like? What are your thoughts on diet?
2: Yeah, I think obviously you got to make sure that you're not uh, consuming way too many calories for you because that obviously will lead to just general weight gain. But in terms of uh, from my um, you know research and understanding of this problem, You know, you definitely want to make sure you have a well-balanced diet, more natural, um, higher in antioxidants. So we typically think of whole grains, fruits, nuts. Um, You know, obviously we want to cut down on processed foods, you know, things that are you know, run through the the chemical mills and you have all these preservatives, ingredients that try to keep it uh, longer on the shelf life but may not necessarily be good for you in terms of the content. So obviously we now live in an age where there's a lot more emphasis on organics, uh, natural type of foods. So those are definitely probably healthier because you worry about, you know, hey, uh, pesticides, chemical exposures and what do those things can do to our body over the long haul.
1: So it's just the stuff we know, natural, yeah. not Processed as much as possible, right the outsides of the grocery store, right, not right. the insides of the grocery <laughs> store, like the outside boundaries sure right isn't that that's we kind of know that what about this argument between and you hear this and mm-hmm. some I hear some medical people argue against it, and some people for it, this whole thing about alkaline versus acidic and what our pH level is in our blood and what we eat to affect that. What is your opinion on the whole alkaline versus i mean Versus acidity what that pH level is.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a lot of conf- controversy because you know, obviously, in today's age of the internet, you know, you can look up anything and you can see all this information. But unfortunately, a lot of this information uh, may not be accurate, or may there there may be a lot of bias behind it in terms of who's putting that out there. Um, I think, all in all you know, there's not a lot of strong correlation in terms of alkaline environment versus acidic environment in terms of cancer development per se. Obviously, we want to look at the overall picture in terms of person's health, you know, um, if they're eat, having a certain diet, but as long as their, you know, uh, lab work and their sugar levels and their, you know, um, internal physical health is fine, then it's it's really not a problem, but we do know that certain things can be a negative factor for
1: for folks yeah uh and one thing on the whole weight and sugar and all that that whole conversation the only thing I'll just throw out there is I was visiting with a doctor one time in one of one of our shows a couple of years ago in October, and she didn't like the whole conversation, and I think the reason is. Is it it the the, the awareness that we all have that cancer does not discriminate? So just because you're thin and in great physical condition doesn't mean you're not going to get cancer. No. So we can do everything we can with our uh, environmental factors to decrease the risk. But cancer does not discriminate.
2: Yeah, and that's that's where the genetics come 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 about it because we all know there may be someone that smokes like a chimney for their whole life, but they never developed a lung cancer, and then someone that's been a non smoker can develop a lung cancer. So there's a lot of uh, complex points in terms of who and when could develop a a cancer itself, and it kind of brings back also in terms of the obesity factor. Uh, not only can it lead to a higher risk of cancer, but patients that have had a cancer been treated and and in hopefully in our case we've cured them. But maintain if they maintain a high uh, body mass index that we say, unfortunately there's a lot of studies that come out showing that they are a higher risk of recurrence because of that. And obviously obesity is a can be a, a sensitive issue because some people feel that, you know, there's a negative stigmatism, but, um, we have patients that unfortunately it's not their fault. They may eat right. They may try to exercise, but it's just their body metabolism that is such where it's just harder for them to, um, lose that weight or keep that weight off. So obviously there's a lot of different diets and, um, interventions that are out there, but sometimes, you know, they're, they're just there just to kind of grab the patient's attention and, you know get them to commit to something where it may not be helpful so you know me and my partner um, this is an important issue for us as well because we we treat cancer patients we want to get rid of their cancer but we also want to make sure for the long haul that they stay healthy and have a good healthy lifestyle so that they can enjoy their whole life without major problems so we've done a lot of research in some weight loss programs and uh, one program that we've um uh, been involved with that has been very successful for our our patients is our Medi weight loss program. And we have a Medi weight loss clinic here in Knoxville. So we often counsel our patients uh, that if this is a challenge for them, that this is one avenue that they can use not only to promote their overall health, but also uh, help against, uh, fight against their cancer as well.
1: Yeah, you know what? That brings up, I have so many questions I want to ask you about that, but I really want to get to men's health. Um, so maybe maybe we'll do another show on that. I'll tell you what, in my dollars and cents segment today, I was going to talk about uh, managing, measuring and managing risk in your portfolio. Everybody's worried about whether the markets are and all, but you know what? I really This is so important and I want to get to prostate and, and men's health. So when we come, I'm going to skip dollars and cents for now. Um, I'll cover I'll talk about risk a lot next week I'm doing a financial show next week. When we come back with Dr. Nilesh Patel we're going to talk about men's prostate health. Uh, it is one in six men will get prostate cancer according to the latest numbers. So don't go away. You won't want to miss that as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan uh, with Nilesh Patel. He's with Premier Radiation Oncology right here on More Living with Jim Brogan. Only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at BroganFinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, straight from the Brogan Financial Studios. I'm visiting this morning with Dr. Neelash Patel. He is with Premier Radiation Oncology, and they provide all the radiation oncology services uh, for Tanova, he and his partner, and uh, we're talking about, we've been talking about breast cancer and women's health, as this is, of course, as we know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I going to pivot and we're going to talk about men's health now. Uh, and I want to specifically get into prostate cancer uh, and prostate health overall. Uh, prostate cancer will afflict one out of every six men. It is the most common type of cancer in men other than skin cancer. The average age at diagnosis is 66. Did I get anything wrong there? Does that all sound correct? No,
2: that sounds about right. Okay.
1: Um, you know, I think the fact men, all people, men and women in America, are living longer and longer lives. So the longer we live, obviously our risk of prostate cancer is higher. What are those numbers like? I mean, if we live to 90, 95 years old, is pretty much it's going to be something we deal with.
2: Well, that, that's that's where we say that's the most common prostate cancer Um prostate cancer there's a wide spectrum of it um, just because a man's diagnosed with prostate cancer doesn't mean that it's a it's a you know sign of death or incoming mortality but um you know it's very common and a lot of men are probably have di- have di- uh, prostate cancer but they're not aware of it uh, just because it never becomes symptomatic um so a lot of times um uh, you know when when people have uh, passed and they may do auto- autopsy, and we've done research studies, we often see that when they examine the prostate tissue that there's cancer in it. But because it was so early or slow, uh, slowly growing, it never became uh, a problem for them. So most men, in, in theory, probably do develop a prostate cancer, but they may never be aware of it because it's just never to the point where it can be t- detected.
1: And average age of diagnosis is 66, but it can often happen earlier. So we don't want to fall asleep on this. So the most common measurement you hear about is the PSA, prostate specific antigen. Um, but it's kind of controversial as to, so how does, does PSA allow you, is it a good indicator of, of prostate cancer specifically? But maybe we should say prostate health overall.
2: Yeah. I think absolutely that PSA is a very important uh, screening test. Uh, for prostate cancer. Now, obviously, there's no perfect test that we have, but in terms of prostate cancer, PSA is one of those few um, tests that we have, at least for cancer overall, that can specifically uh, give us an early sign that something's going on. Now, obviously, in terms of prostate health, There can be other factors that can cause an elevated PSA. Oftentimes we say a prostatitis, which is general inflammation of the prostate, which could be caused by infection. That can cause a PSA level to be uh, elevated, and then with time, with appropriate treatment with antibiotics, you can see it go back down, and that's not a red flag for us. But there's no doubt that we can catch prostate cancers much, much earlier because of the PSA screening test. Um, but that's also where the controversy comes in. Like you just kind of touched upon that, um, you know, just like with breast cancer, you know, in terms of women uh, after a certain age, do they need to have a mammogram? Um, there's some st- um, the u s Task Force for Preventive Health has said, Well, you know, do men after a certain age need a PSA testing? But obviously, you have to look at it on a case by a case basis that if someone has a family history, of uh, prostate cancer, or if their PSAs have been relatively normal, but there's a sudden change or a trend that's been changing, and that can be a sign of a uh, prostate cancer that's brewing, or if it's
1: slowly increasing. Yes, absolutely. So, so, if if somebody's fairly young, so I I just turned fifty in this in this conversation, I guess that would be considered fairly young. So, as people, at what point, at what age, if there are not other risk factors? like no family history and all that, and and even if there is family history, when should men start tracking their PSA? And and how often? uh, So I personally believe that all
2: men should at least get a baseline PSA, at least by age 50, um, just to get an idea where your PSA falls for you. And then, you know, generally in in the days we've used to, say, do an annual screening where you get a PSA every year. Now, if your PSA has been very low. You may not need to do it every year, but at least uh, every once in a while that needs to be checked to see to make sure there's no change. What the controversy is, is that a lot of times men may have a PSA that's a little elevated, but that leads to a whole process of, oh, well, your PSA is elevated, um, maybe you need a prostate biopsy. And in the on the biopsy, if they get diagnosed with a prostate cancer, oh, you may need treatment, even though we do know now that certain prostate cancers may be so early stage, so low grade, that they may can just be watched instead of treatment. So that's where all the public health um, controversy comes in because... Um, they're worried about overall costs in terms of healthcare costs versus the individual patient where, you know, no, this person definitely needs treatment because their cancer is more aggressive versus this one. Yeah, we can watch them because it may be years before this person experiences any problems from his prostate cancer.
1: Yeah. And I want to get into treatment modalities as and active surveillance here in a minute. Um, but let's talk about the hormone replacement therapy. So we've had stuck clinics popping up all over the place in the last 10 years for men. Uh, we talked about estrogen replacement for women earlier in the first half. But testosterone supplementation for men has become all the rage. No pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, can you talk about that risk factor? What do we know? About the link between testosterone supplementation and cancer. What do we know? And then what do you see in your patients?
2: So I think this is the dirty little secret in terms of testosterone supplementation and the higher risk of developing prostate cancer because, you know, we're getting more and more information, and those of us in, in oncology know this risk factor, but in terms of the general public, you know, this is not something that you hear about like you have with the women with estrogen replacement therapy over years that can be a lead to higher risk of breast cancer. But unfortunately, testosterone, obviously it's the male hormone and testosterone supplementation works. You know, as men, as we get older, unfortunately, our testosterone does go down and we start feeling that aging process. We're not like when we were teenagers um, and then adding testosterone definitely w- helps people feel more energetic, they feel younger, more revitalized, but there's a uh, definitely uh, issue in terms of you definitely have a higher risk of developing prostate cancer. It's kind of like a fuel to the fire, or you may spark a match to light it, um, where unfortunately in my practice, like you said, the average age of prostate cancer diagnosis is 66, so traditionally. We may think of it as an older man's uh, medical health issue. But I've seen men in their 40s, in their early 50s, being diagnosed with the aggressive type of prostate cancers. They had no other risk factors, but they were on testosterone supplementation.
1: So when you see men under, say, age 55 that have prostate cancer, is there a pretty high incidence of hormone replacement therapy
2: well we're definitely seeing more and more of that nowadays and obviously one thing that we ask is have you ever been on testosterone supplementation and if they are or have been and they've been diagnosed obviously we want this, we stop that right away because we know that's a promoting factor so unfortunately um you see like you mentioned all these uh, clinics popping up like i said there's no problem but we don't know that which clinics do a good job of counseling men that hey you know, adding testosterone to your body can be helpful in this way, in this sense. But there are uh, possible side effects or negative, uh, you know, outcomes by doing that. So, I, I personally feel that if someone, if a man's going on testosterone, they need to see a urologist or someone that a medical professional that really knows what they're doing. That will get a baseline PSA and monitor their PSA while they're on testosterone supplementation. And if there's any change in that PSA for the worse, to, to make sure that we're doing everything to make sure they're not developing a prostate cancer.
1: One thing I'm hearing in there, Dr. Patel, is if somebody's listening this morning and they're on testosterone or you know therapy, they should absolutely be getting their PSA checked regularly. 100%. Is that a good way to say that? Absolutely. M- much more regularly than if they weren't?
2: That's correct, okay. yes.
1: Well, when we come back, I want to talk about treatment modalities. Um you know, the prostate is a small, what is it, about a walnut size? Is that a good way to say That's that? kind of about the like average a size. Yeah. So, uh, you know, treated with radiation, what is the risk of secondary cancers down the line? Um, what about removal? What about proton therapy, seeds, all these things? We're going to get into that with Dr. Nilesh Patel. He's with Premier Radiation Oncology. Uh, they provide the radiation oncology services for Tenova Healthcare. Stay tuned. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKA. <laughs>
0: you for listening to more living with jim brogan if you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement and now here's senior market advisor magazine's 2011 national advisor of the year and host of more living jim brogan
1: Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. As we visit with Dr. Nilesh Patel, he's with Premier Radiation Oncology. And we've been talking about, uh, in the first half of the show, we talked about women's health and breast cancer and even cervical cancer. And now we're talking about men's health and prostate cancer. One in six men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, starting earlier and earlier, maybe because of some environmental factors, especially we talked about hormone replacement therapy and the risks there. Let's talk about treatment modalities. I guess, obviously, you know, you can have your prostate taken out. Um, a lot of there's some side effects to that, uh, but that's a way to get it out. Now, when it talks about radiation, there are different ways to deliver the radiation, right? Can you just briefly walk us through the differences? And, man, I'm going to ask you a question that's hard to answer in a short answer, but, like, what the differences are and why you would do, like, how, if I do traditional radiation therapy versus proton therapy, which is just the difference in the way it's delivered, right? Right. Is that a good way to say that? That's a
2: good way to say that.
1: Or seeds, What are the, why would you do one or the other? And what are the risks of secondary cancer there? I've asked it a little bit more succinctly there.
2: Sure. (laughs) So uh, unfortunately, we could take a long time going into the details of all the different treatment modalities. But uh, in terms of my field of expertise, like you said, radiation oncology, I deal with radiation therapy. And like you said, for prostate cancer specifically, there are different ways we can treat prostate cancer, but we have to look at the individual patient you know, their age, their overall health, but also their specific prostate cancer type in terms of You know, we call Gleason score, the grade of their cancer, their PSA level, and other factors that may lead us to want to do one type of treatment over the other. So we think about all these things and try to give the recommendation. But like you said, sometimes some men really do have multiple options available for their treatment, which can be difficult because you have to choose which way to go. And so in terms of radiation, there are several different ways where we can treat the prostate cancer. When people talk about traditional radiation, basically we're using high energy x-rays as the medium that will deliver radiation very precisely to the prostate. Now traditional radiation or we call x-ray radiation has advanced tremendously over the past uh, uh, 10, 15, 20 years where the x-ray radiation is definitely more focused and um, more precise in terms of treating the prostate and limiting dose to the surrounding tissues. maybe I guess that's one victim. of the
1: because I guess one of the benefits when you're a man and you get prostate cancer is it's a very finite localized type of cancer, right?
2: Yeah. For the most part. As long as a, a man's PSA is within a certain range or more importantly when we look at their biopsy and we see that's prostate cancer, but we also give it a grade called a Gleason score. And Typically, it ranges anywhere from six to 10 on that score, six being a low grade cancer. And those cancers have a higher probability that it's confined to the prostate. Whereas, uh, you know, eight, nine, or 10 scores, there is a higher risk that the cancer could be beyond the capsule of the prostate. And therefore, we do some testing, CT scans, bone scans to make sure that's not spread. But based on that information, then we will make our treatment recommendation. So
1: would it be accurate if somebody feels like they need to be treated and not just surveil or monitor the situation, that you're either removing the prostate gland or you're just killing it completely? Yeah. Is that a good way to say that? That's a good way
2: to say that. You know, obviously prostatectomy will remove the prostate. Radiation, um, I don't want to say we kill the gland, but we try to kill the cancer within the gland. And that's how radiation therapy works, is that the radiation itself uh, is able to damage the DNA of the cancer cells more preferentially over the normal tissue.
1: So if, if in comparing those two options, down the line, what's the risk? what what is the difference in the risk of cancer coming back if 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 you catch it now v- prostatectomy versus radiation
2: it, so it- so that's the beauty fortunately and that's why we often have men that come in and we can definitely tell them like look you're a candidate for prostatectomy you are a candidate for radiation because both treatments over the long haul will have the same basic rate of cure you know, and one is not superior than the other in most senses. Now, sometimes we may have a patient where we may prefer surgery because they have a very young, young age or whatnot versus someone that's older where they may have other medical problems and doing a major operation may be more harmful than beneficial because of side effects or whatnot. So
1: does a younger person have a greater, I mean the risk of secondary cancers down the line. I mean, there's got to be some residual damage when you're treating the prostate with radiation. Is that true?
2: Yeah, there's always a risk in terms of radiation itself. Just like with any treatment, even surgeons will say that, hey, there's always a risk of major complications from surgery. Fortunately, with the newer techniques of radiation therapy, we do a much better job of just limiting the radiation to the target area. And there's much less exposure to the surrounding tissues, which has led to a decrease of secondary uh, cancers compared to older techniques of radiation, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, so even though that there's a risk, I often say, look, look for patients that ask me, you, you probably have a better chance of winning the lottery than of really developing a secondary cancer from modern techniques of radiation. Now, unfortunately, it's not zero, but it's
1: minimal. It's Dr. Nilesh Patel. He's with Premier Radiation Oncology. Dr. Patel, man, I could talk to you for another hour on both these, on women's health and men's health. How can people get hold of you? Or your group? How can people contact you? Yeah, so um, our group is Premier
2: Radiation Oncology. So we provide the radiation oncology services for Tanova Healthcare here in Knoxville. Um, you know, our contact information uh, can be found on the Tenova website, www.tanova.com. But uh, my office number, I'm mainly at uh, Turkey Creek office here in West Knoxville. And my partner, Dr. Vas is at our North uh, Knoxville office. But uh, our phone number is 865-218-7081. So if there's any questions or concerns, particularly about prostate cancer, uh, but cancer in general, we're very happy to help our patients and our, and our folks in our community.
1: You mentioned anytime. how far radiation therapy has come in the last five or ten years. I mean, man, what could happen in the next ten years? It could be incredible the way things are evolving in treatment of all kinds of cancers, Absolutely. for women and men. Right? Absolutely,
2: um, the beautiful thing about um, our society in terms of innovation, research, and technology—just like you know—we have the world at the palm of our hands with our smartphones. Uh, we are just doing seeing more and more options available for our cancer patients. Um, you know, oftentimes we used to in the old days hear the word cancer, and you almost thought about you know, well, I'm someone's going to die from cancer. But now, even though someone may have a diagnosis of cancer, we can uh, have them living longer, cure them, um, and live with a good lifestyle despite having that diagnosis.
1: It's Dr. Neelash Patel, you can reach him. He's with Premier Radiation Oncology. You can find at, find him through Tanova Healthcare's website. And then what was the phone number again?
2: 865-218-7081.
1: Okay, Dr. Patel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule.
2: Oh, Thank you, Jim. Really appreciate
1: it. We've discussed women's and men's health because greater health provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. As you listen to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.